I actually, I have a son who's 29, who we were talking last weekend and he's like, I feel like I should be so much further ahead. I said, you're just where you need to be. You know, your job as a, in, as a young person is taste, explore, be curious because you wanna find what lights you up. You know, you have one life to live and it's not a dress rehearsal. Hello, everybody. Welcome in here to the Get After Podcast. I am stoked to have you guys with me here today. Awesome guest for you, Dr. Briar Flicker Grossman. She is a friend, uh, an inspiring mentor, um, and someone who I think all of us can learn from. I know I did re-listening to this podcast, also meeting with her and just getting to know her. Um, just amazing. I'm really excited to share this with you all today. Uh, she's been uh, well, first of all, just a quick background on her. She's going to dive into it a little bit. She's got a master's degree in social work and a doctorate in psycho uh, psychoanalysis. And she's – the best way to describe her is, I mean, she is – not only does she do therapy, she does coaching. She helps people really become the best versions of themselves, eliminate you know, uh, self-holding back beliefs. Um, and you can just tell. I mean, she's an inspiring woman. The optimism is going to shine through this call. I mean, I, and to give you guys a little bit of a backstory on this, we're both in the same accelerator group, and we had an in-person meeting uh, in January in Los Angeles. And Briar and I hadn't had a chance to really connect much. And she was one of – I remember sitting down. We were about to get started, and she comes in. She, she walks in. You know, it's a few minutes before we're about to get started, and hugging and just – everybody, right? Like, oh, Briar's here. Like, everyone's loving her. And uh, I was like, man, I have to build a relationship with with Dr. Briar. I mean, I just I had to. So later on, I think it was maybe the second day, we actually ended up sitting next to each other. Didn't talk a crazy amount, but afterwards, we had a really we had a chance to jam. We had a great time on this podcast. She's a friend. I can totally say that. I'm so excited to share this with you guys here. So guys, without further ado, Dr. Briar Flicker Grossman. Let's go. Cue the intro. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. I think our young professionals and entrepreneurs listening would love to hear a little bit more about you. Do you mind giving us a little bit more of your story, how you got started and what field you're in? Just give us the rundown of who you are and where you came from. That's great. Yeah, sure. So um, it's funny because I've gotten to know who I am more recently because my uh, first book was recently published, Love, Laugh, Be. And so I can tell you, I'm definitely an author, a published author. And, um, and it comes from having been a psychoanalyst, coach, childbirth educator for many, many years and, um, and loving that. And I, I've come by it really honestly, and it wasn't a straight shot. And I would say that for most entrepreneurs, if you think or you're hoping that it's going to be a straight shot, then you're not in the right field because being an entrepreneur is about the zigzags and sort of the circuitous route. Uh, I really swore I was, I was never going to be a therapist specifically because my mom and dad are both therapists. So I didn't want to kind of be, you know, the copycat kid. I'm going to grow up and be what they are because that's just the easiest. I, you probably know that like the whole 
pizza thing, right? It's like, who am I for me? So, you know, I studied acting and undergraduate work. I loved the theater and unbeknownst to me, theater and acting, it's all psychotherapy. It's all psychological. It's all about knowing people and loving people. And the truth for me, and I think this is true for most entrepreneurs, is if you want to be successful and you want to be happy, you got to love people. And that's something that comes from your heart. So I've always loved people. And when I finished college and I started trying to get gigs as an actress and I sang and played guitar, I thought this is exhausting because you have to have what they call the day job. So I'd be out there doing my auditions, but my day job was waiting on tables at several restaurants and cocktail waitressing. And as time went by, I found my way into helping young kids who were in trouble. And I loved it. I was as happy as a pig in shit. It was so great. And from there, I thought I need to get more trained in this. I want to get with people. And I haven't looked back. I, whatever I can do to make a difference with people and for people so that they can have the lives they love as I've developed my life and I love my life. I live a really great life. Uh, if I can pass on any secrets, I'm happy to make them not secret. So, <laughs> you know, you're about getting after it. I'm about getting into it. So we can get after it and into it together. It's funny. Before before we hopped on here, before we hit record, that's what we were jamming about a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. do you, actually, what's your... Um, Let's get into it, not to be, not to overuse that. Uh, what, what are the, uh, I don't want to say daily, but what, what are, what is your role on a, on a day-to-day -day basis? I know you're, you're in, is it psychotherapy? What kind of work that you're doing? You want just to kind of pull the curtain back, just, just understand what field you're in. What does your day calendar look like and who are your clients? Sure. So, um, you know, I started out with a master's in social work and people don't know that social workers aren't. Mm -hmm only people who work for Department of Social Services or you know, schedule the bus for people. Uh, I got really great training as a psychotherapist at New York University, working with adults, families, kids, individuals, groups, and helping different people with different kinds of problems and issues. And along the line, I picked up more training until a few years back, I got my doctorate in psychoanalysis. So what does it all mean? What it basically means is that I may meet with somebody once a week, twice a week. If I have somebody in classic psychoanalysis, think Woody Allen, uh, they may be lying on the couch four to five times a week with me kind of sitting in back of them, helping them think through what is on their mind. And I think often, if we're really honest, we know that we're a really good intellect, like we can add up the numbers, we are really good with the science, maybe not so much with the emotional stuff, or I'm really great with the emotional stuff. I'm so full of feeling, but God, the, 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 the intellect, I'm not great at thinking things through, I'm more impulsive. As a therapist, and particularly the kind of work I do, when you hear psychoanalysis, it really means deep work. It's not just it's kind of like if you read any sort of self-help literature, they're telling you, here's what you got to do to have a great life. 
and you go, okay, great, I'm gonna do it. And tomorrow I'm gonna start doing this. And tomorrow comes and you're like, shit, I didn't do it. Or I don't know how to do it. I don't know, I wanna do it, but I just can't do it. So as a therapist, I help you get underneath that to figure out why is it you say you wanna have a life you love and you're not living that. And I have clients who are from the rich and famous to just starting out their lives and kind of like I was many years ago, I don't know who I wanna be when I grow up. Um, I work with young entrepreneurs, I work with people struggling with their relationships. Um, I even work with, with kids who are having a hard time in school or with their parents. So I have a pretty diverse calendar and one of the things I loved about my field going into it, I knew I wanted to be a mom. I knew that family was really important to me. And this was a field I could see I could leverage myself in, that I could have a private practice. So I have my own office, I work for myself, and I can set hours that work for me. And whether it's doing video conference calls or in my office face-to-face, I get to say what my fee is. I get to say what my hours are. And if I have kids I need to pick up at school, I can go and pick them up at school. If there's you know, something else that I need to do, I have that leverage. So I have a very busy and full practice and it's very consistent. So by consistent, I mean, if I were gonna see you as a therapy client, you would come every, Monday at 10. If I see you in deeper psychotherapy, doesn't mean you're uh, any less uh, whole of a person. It doesn't mean you're sick and crazy. If you come to see me four and five times a week, it actually means you just want to dig deeper, but your time is the same each day. And we probably work over a long period of time anywhere from two to five years together, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter just depends. And if you're a coaching client, it's usually much less, maybe a couple of months. So it really depends. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm super curious on this. And by the way, this is awesome work that you do. I'm really just, uh, it's almost like I want to thank you, but your clients thank you. They, they pay for you. That, that, that works. That works. But you know, I'm really curious in the sense that uh, I feel like a lot of people, and this is almost like a They've talked about how our attention spans are going down, but we are becoming more focused on the work that we do. But I think one thing that's ironic about all that is as young people, a lot of stress. Oh my gosh. You know, I see this person with the BMW and the, and the, or maybe even less so than that. It's just, they get out with a degree or they're 18, 19, or maybe they're 27 well into their career and they question you know, where is this headed? How am I doing this? So I want to ask you, did you ever, because this is really, you, 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 you're very accomplished in education. You've worked on multiple degrees on that front. Was there ever a point though, like right after you finish one of those degrees, you're supposed to feel really good and you're just really nervous about what you wanted to go into. And how did you counteract that? How did you come through with that? You're rolling your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like in college, I loved studying acting and theater and literature. I was a theater lit double major. I loved it. And of course, I'm walking out with a Bachelor of Arts in theater and lit going, woohoo! And then it's like, woo, what? Like, what do I do now? I'm a starving actor. This is 
awful. And I liked acting, but I, I think that I had a feeling there was more and I didn't want to, I didn't have a passion for the struggle that it would take to achieve the kind of success I wanted to have as an actor. And I really struggled with that. That is partly how I fell in love with therapy because at the time I also broke up with my college boyfriend. It was not a great relationship in as much as I was not in the relationship for the right reason. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I think a lot of young people do. It's part of growing up, but you find somebody who you want to take care of as opposed to somebody who's really your best friend. And this was somebody who I thought I can take care of him. I can make him a better person. And of course, that's awful to be the recipient of that. And he got resentful. He also happened to be a very heavy drinker, which I'm not. And it didn't end well. And I was heartbroken because I thought I was a failure in my relationship. And I didn't know who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'm the ripe old age of like 22. And I moved back in with my mom and dad. And I was really like, what the hell am I doing? And I looked at my mom and dad like, my mom was married at 19 and gave birth to me at 20. My dad had his MD by the time he was 25. I'm like, I'm so behind. You know, I was really worried. And I actually, I have a son who's 29, who we were talking last weekend. And he's like, I feel like I should be so much further ahead. I said, you're just where you need to be. You know, your job as a, in, as a young person is, taste, explore, be curious because you want to find what lights you up. You know, you have one life to live and it's not a dress rehearsal. So hang in there until you're really lit up because I'll tell you, I wake up every day loving what I do. And the way I came across it was so crazy. It was crazy. I'm out to lunch with a girlfriend of mine. And at the time I'm working as a waitress at night. During the day I had landed a gig as a, um, uh, I was a manager in an art gallery selling art. And I thought, well, maybe this is my thing. I love art. So I started taking business classes. And I remember one day somebody coming in and they wanted to buy some prints. And I thought, sure, I can sell you prints. And they're like, well, we want Salvador Dali. And I'm like, well, we have that, but it's really overproduced. And if you're talking about investing, I don't recommend it. Well, they were like, no, we want every piece you have. We're going to buy them all. And I thought these poor people, they're going to regret it. They didn't want to hear it. And I felt so guilty selling to people stuff that I knew wasn't good. And at times I would tell them, but I thought this isn't the right field for me. And I'm telling one of my best friends who I went out to lunch with one day, I'd known her since junior high. She says, well, you think that's bad? You know what I'm doing? I'm like, well, what are you doing? She says, well, I got this job working in residential treatment. I'm like, well, what the hell's that? She said, well, got a job working with little boys who are in the foster system and they haven't been able to find families or they've been in families, but they're so disturbed 
that no family hangs on to them and they have to go to a home. And so this is like 30 boys who are between the ages of eight and 12 or something like this. She said, I hate it. You work with these kids, you start to make some ground with them, you start to help them, and then they get a home visit and they come back shell-shocked, post-traumatic, crying, it's awful. And as she's talking, my jaw's opening and I'm leaning into the conversation thinking, this sounds awesome. I want to do this. I don't know what it was. I just felt like, oh my God, you're making a difference for these little people who have no one. And I, I remember calling my mom and saying, I think, I think I'm going to get a job working in residential treatment. She's like, you're in theater, you're working as a waitress, you're working in an art, what are you thinking? I'm like, thanks for the support, mom, bye. And my, I gotta say, my parents are super supportive, loving people, and it just, it happened to be that moment, my mom couldn't quite get her head around it, so bye, mom. I went out the next day, drove out to a few residential treatment centers in Los Angeles, found this one place that worked with teenage girls and their babies, Oh my God, I love babies. I gotta tell you, I have a real soft spot for babies. I'm also a uh, childbirth educator, so I teach couples about how to have babies and educate people about the fact that birth can be just as joyful and pleasurable as making them. So that's a whole other podcast. But, <laughs> but needless to say, I was super excited to go and get to work with babies and mommies. So I get this job, it's awesome. And then as I start working with these really disturbed, ill girls, I thought I need more education. But I fell into it, it was organic, I wasn't looking for it, and I have not regretted a day since, and I've been at this 33 years. I love my life. It's find what you love. It's not that this work is for everyone, but there is work for everyone that you love. It's like I told my, I don't care, you know, you want to ride on the sanitation truck and pick up garbage and that lights you up, you should effing do that. You know, you want to clean pools, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, whatever you want to be, if you get up in the morning going, this is awesome. That's what I want for you. And that, that can take some investigating. I think, uh... I love all this. And, and one, of the, one of the things I was just thinking was, uh, actually you mentioned it earlier, because we were, we were talking before about my, my father and, and growing up working in his business. Um, we hear this a lot. This is a very thrown out there line that not everyone is supposed to be an entrepreneur. I'm curious from your standpoint and just working with the mental sides of people and, and trying to process complex problems. And just I'm just really curious. Is that, do you think that's true? Is it, are certain people cut out to be a quote entrepreneur versus others? And I'll give you just some more context to it. The way I see it, like uh, I, I joke, my buddy jokes, uh, one of my, one of my best buddies has always joked with me. He's like, you Griffins, it's like you guys just choose the hardest possible things possible to do. It's like, because my brother's in real estate and, and at the time I was, I was leaving college to go move across the country and see if this whole division would work out or not. And, and it did, but at, you know, at the time that's, that's basically what it was. And he joked about that. And it's like, well, you know, I just, I always thought, well, it's in my blood. I mean, it's, my, my, my dad grew up, didn't want to work in the auto factory. Let's start a pizzeria, no business with pizza, 
he made it work and he's got phenomenal pizza. But I'm just curious, is, that, is there any truth to that, that somebody should be an entrepreneur or should not be? Because after reading the book, The E-Myth and kind of really getting clarified, doing a lot of interviews with entrepreneurs, it doesn't seem like people who think they're entrepreneur, the, the word entrepreneur is so overused in the sense that the reality is, it's just you hold the reins of the business and your responsibility is to keep it alive and keep it growing, right? But can you, can you give a little perspective on that? Are there, it, if somebody's listening to this and they're wondering, oh man, I think, should I be an entrepreneur? Should I not be? Is there any logic to the point that someone just cannot be? It's just totally not cut out for it. It's not what they should do. Because I've heard a lot of people talk about that and I've honestly kind of accepted it as true. So I'm just, I'm really curious is what you, what you think about that. Yeah. You know what? Especially after what I was sharing about my mom, right? Here I was, I had studied acting and I'm like, okay, mom, I'm going to go. And again, just to reframe, my parents are both therapists. My dad is an MD, a medical doctor, did a psychiatric residency and he's a psychoanalyst, which is a whole other level of training. You know, it took me eight years to get my doctorate in psychoanalysis, just to give you an idea. Like, you've got to have a passion for it. My mom, she got her master's in social work and went on to get her PhD, her doctorate in psychology. So there's a lot of that in our background. And when I said, you know, after not studying any of that, after not taking any psychology classes, I want to go and make a psychological, emotional difference with these really disturbed hood rats, these kids who are gangbangers, um, little girls who had been picked up for prostitution, drugs, were 16-year-old mothers. My mom's like, you want to what? Here's the thing. If you wanna, you should go and give it a try. Now, I don't love that box called, are you an entrepreneur or are you not? I love the question, are you interested? I, I love the concept of curiosity. And we don't talk, we talk a lot about creativity. We don't talk a lot about curiosity. And I think we don't encourage people to follow what they're curious about. If you're curious, you probably have a taste or hunger in your mouth. Like, God, I want to know what that's about. Well, follow it. If you know, you're not handcuffed, there's no like, eternal contract that if you try something, you can never give it back. In fact, my parents would say, you know, we'd go out to a restaurant, my, I'd see some food and I'd say, can I taste it? And my parents would say, yes. I'd say, what if I don't like it? And they said, spit it out. And I think that's a really great way to live your life. Try stuff. If you don't like it, spit it out. So I don't think people are built one way or the other way. I do think that, you know, we have, everybody has their hurdles to jump over. Some people have parents who really don't understand them or are abusive. Some people have really great parents and have cancer when they're 25. Some people, everybody has stuff, you know, a dog dies and your heart's broken and you think you're never going to get out of bed again. We all have shit. That's okay. You brush your knees off and you pick yourself up and you say, and what do I want now? And that's really the important piece is developing our resiliency and being able to keep an eye on what we're curious about. If you like to play guitar, play guitar and see, 
well, can I exchange this service for money? And that might be working for somebody. It might be working for yourself. And I think sometimes those decisions are made organically. Work for someone. If you don't like it, work for yourself. Work for yourself. If you don't like it, work for someone. You get to say, and I wish that was something, you know, I just was filling out some uh, questions I was asking myself. One of them had to do with going back and talking to the teenage me. And what advice would I give the young me from lessons I've learned? And one of them would be that nothing is a forever choice. You choose moment by moment and you can always change your choice. I've been married for 32 years and every day I choose my husband. I love him. He's amazing. He's my best friend. I choose him, but you get to choose and there aren't do-overs. So as soon as you recognize you don't love what you're doing, do something else. And if you see that you're a serial doer over person, like you are serious, serially changing work, you are serially changing relationships, you might want to get some help, whether that's psychotherapy or coaching, to get to the bottom of why you are not satisfied with anything. Because there's a lot of delicious stuff out there. Let, you know, let's this perfect transition because it just popped in my head. I want to ask you about coaching and investing in yourself through either coaching or psychotherapy or any kind of therapy in that sense. I, I, I talk about this in my book, which is almost coming out next month, looks like. Yeah. Next month. We're almost getting that out, which is stoked about. Uh, Briar and I are both in an accelerator with uh, self-publishing school, so I should probably throw that out there in context. I'm not just plugging the book. And most of the people listening to this should already know that. But that being said, with when it comes to, I think there's, it, there's so many people I meet who have never invested in coaching, have never invested in any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of self, I don't want to call it self-help, but it's really self-help, right? What, Self-development, yeah. Yeah, and well, so so I guess my question, and I did this in the book, it's like, Hey, once you get out of school, besides the monthly payments to the loans that you most likely are going to have, what kind of investment are you actually making in yourself? You want to talk about the hurdle that people somehow put in front of themselves to actually paying somebody who has the experience, like experience to actually bring somebody into the fold that can help them. Why is coaching? Why is psychotherapy? Why, why is just, why is bringing another person into the fold? so valuable and how do you even kind of start the search to see if that's something that you you know how can you determine if there's if that's good for somebody i guess look here's what i've discovered along the way because i, I didn't know this stuff from a hole in the wall until i really started getting into it and you know my husband's such a smart guy here you know he's a dentist and he is not your typical dentist. He is, we have a number of businesses together. We have a philanthropy together, homeless, not toothless, providing free dental care to homeless people and veterans, as well as kids in foster care. Um, we have our hands in a lot of pots. We, we have our hands in real estate. We have our hands in product development. One of the things that he was really the one I have to give him credit for figuring out is, you know, we have three kids that came out of my body. And then we recently found out we have another six. So I have 
nine kids when we were in graduate school together and trying to make it through. Y'all know how expensive, you know, college is, right? You were just saying you got to get out and pay the bills. Well, they came to the dental school and said, hey, you know, if you want to make some extra money and make a difference in people's lives, be a sperm donor. So he was, and through 23andMe and Ancestry.com, uh, we were contacted by a bunch of our kids, really his biological kids, but I love them all and they're now part of our family. So we, we now have these nine amazing, amazing kids. And one of the things that we've talked about as a family with all our kids and where our philosophies are at is if you wanna be good at anything, like you wanna to learn to play piano, you get a teacher, right? Or, you know, you want to join the football team in college or high school, you need a coach, right? Or you want to be an Olympic athlete, you're not doing it by yourself. You want excellence and you want to go for the gold, you're going to need a coach for every area of your, you're going to have a nutritional coach, you're going to have somebody who coaches you on your event, probably specifics on your event, you're going to have a coach just for stretching, you're going to have a coach for the mental mindset of the, of the sport you're doing, right? So we all get that about athletics and we wouldn't expect anything less of an Olympic athlete. My question for you, for us, that I had to ask myself as, as I've been developing myself and I hope I am in development for the rest of my life, I will always have coaches. I, I may always have therapists. I haven't been in therapy for a while, but to become an analyst, I had to be in psychoanalysis myself four days a week, eight years every day with my analyst. Made me a better person and more, more compassionate and connected with my patients, my family, my drive for success, etc. But why wouldn't you, if you would get coaching as an Olympic athlete, why wouldn't you look at your life as an Olympic event? and get coaches for the things you're interested in, tutors, mentors, psychotherapy. Every person who I've had in therapy or analysis comes away going, you guys do a really bad job of branding and marketing therapy. People have no clue what this is about because if they did, everybody would want it. So the question is really, do you want to have an Olympic level life? If you don't, you probably don't need coaches, mentors, or therapists. And if you do, you get so much. I would not trade in my analysis, my coaches, my mentors. You know, I'm currently in the Authors Advantage Accelerator program with you at Self Publishing School. Love it. I have somebody to kick my ass and push me and help me develop beyond where it's comfortable for me. I hope I'm always in that game. Life, life is meant to be lived passionately, you know? I love this. And it's a great, it's a great plug for your book. <clears throat> if everyone listening to this podcast wants to read more about what sounds like an amazing story with how you ended up with nine kids, Love, Laugh, Be, how I, I wound up with nine amazing kids when I only knew about three and the extraordinary true story, other extraordinary true stories that matter. You want to talk about your book and the, um, I guess the, 
what was the idea that like, oh my gosh, I think this should be a book. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I was going to write a self-development book to help people really develop their capacity to love, laugh, and be. And as I was kind of outlining it, brainstorming it, I was thinking about how many times I've told certain stories about my own life that people have said, oh my God, you've got to put that in a book. These are great. That's hilarious. That's awful. Whether it was surviving breast cancer or finding out I was you know, the mother of nine kids when I only gave birth to three. So the, that made me think about how can I take my stories and sort of not have it just be about me as a straight up memoir, but a memoir that also helps other people see themselves and develop and understand aspects of their own psychology. So I actually recently got, just recently received the Best of Los Angeles Award for Best Motivational Memoir of 2020. And it was, you know, obviously an amazing honor. And I'm so deeply humbled by that. And I can see that there is a place out there for seeing somebody else's personal story, not just being kind of lectured at, here's what you got to do, but here's sort of the scope of my life, the ups and downs, the losses, the turmoil, and also the wins and the beauty and the extraordinary moments and what it takes to sort of put that kind of life together, which is really what I want for everybody, if I could touch everyone on the planet and say, you have the right to an extraordinary life, um, I would do that. And this is my first attempt by publishing this book and getting my blog out there and eventually my podcast. I'm about to get a, a 30 day challenge out there. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me through my Facebook page, my Love Laugh Be Facebook group, or my drbriar.com website, and I will get back to anybody who reaches out to me, and it's a, it'll be a lot of fun, so. I have a, we were, we were probably, we were going back and forth. It was, to, it was to a point, it was like, we need to hit record on this podcast, because we were talking <laughs> 25 minutes before we got into this. Um, but one of the things we talked about was the coronavirus and everything that's happening now with this. And it's a, it's was May 6th right now that we're recording this. But I want to ask you, because we talked a lot about the positives that both of you and I have seen over our lives. I think, I think we're both naturally optimistic, energy-wise people. I think that's probably why we dove into that. I want to talk about, though, in terms of the challenge that I think are being faced by a lot of young professionals, because they're going to be the lowest person on the totem pole going into a lot of organizations, and they're going to be the first jobs that are cut from a lot of the... And I, I cite the study in my book. It's like you have uh, 10 years ago, I think it's 35% of the country is employed by approximately 35% were employed by uh, small businesses with 50 or less team members. And then you have about the same amount of people working for conglomerates of 2,500 or more. And you fast forward to today and that number has grown to almost 50% for conglomerates. It's like 47, 48% of the workforce is employed by conglomerates. My theory on that is they have the resources to be able to recruit people out of school. I think a lot more effectively than most small businesses are. Um, that being said, a lot of the roles that they have been hiring like madness the last few years are just poofing away overnight. A lot of people are graduating right now or going into the summer with an internship that is just disappearing. 
what would you do if you were back in that position, whether you just graduated school or you're in school and you just have, look, you got time on your hands. What on earth are you doing to take advantage of some of the challenges and some of the changes that are going to come out of this post pandemic world that we're living in? It's such a great question. And again, if, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my kids about this right now. And I just had been talking to kind of the teenage part of me, like, what do I wish I could have told myself? And the purpose of that exercise, no matter how old you are, is to be able to recognize that what you would have told yourself when you were 16, well, could you fucking tell yourself that now? Jeez, you know, listen to yourself. You're really a good coach. So I think that, you know, we can be brought up in different environments and often feel that the goal of life is to get a good corporate job, is to get, you know, out there and into the workforce. Well, right now, that's not necessarily the truth. And the landscape is profoundly changed right now. And we were talking sort of about the silver linings are often referred to. In my family, we often refer to the perverse benefits. So I would never, ever, ever wish coronavirus or any illness on anyone. That's what's so perverse about this. But the benefit is that as we've all been asked to turn inside and socially distance, it's actually a time Maybe you're socially distancing from going out to a bar, but it's an opportunity to connect with yourself and start journaling, start writing down thoughts, ideas, get on the internet and look at stuff like, what is Tony Robbins up to these days? What are, what are some of the great gurus out there doing right now? Who's the guy? Um, Oh, I'm blocking on his name, but he's written a lot of books about making money. There's Robert Kiyosaki about... Uh, um, maybe even Grant Cardone, is what you're thinking. Grant Cardone, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, there, there are just so many mentors out there who are giving away programs, who are offering free material. Pete Vargas and various stages... Chandler Bolt and self-publishing school, Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi, uh, the knowledge broker. Um, get after it podcast. The get after it podcast. That's the top of the freaking list. You should be listening to that every freaking opportunity you get. So there are all these places where people want to help you think your life through and figure out how to capitalize on the current environment. There are so many ways to express what you've got to the world in exchange for money, that you can take some mess that you've been in and create a message and get it out there and people are gonna wanna pay you because they don't wanna go through that mess. So I think there are so many opportunities right now, if you're willing, to take a breath and settle down and realize this is what it is right now. And you're not going to have that job that you were going to have, or the market's not the way the market was six months ago. But that can also work to your advantage and be an opportunity. Well, it's kind of like we discussed. It's like uh, 
or as you, you really laid out, it's like, you're right where you need to be. And I think that's a great reminder for everyone. It's like, at the end of the day, what are we doing here? If you're not meant to be where you're at today, what's the point of all of this? So it's like, so I, I love that. Hey, to end on a uh, more personal note, just as a, as a last question here, just how has, uh, I want to say quarantine life been, but what are some of the positives that have come out of it for your life uh, that you would like to share with us just as we wrap up? Oh, you know, for me, it's really been great because I have had time like I haven't in many, many years. My practice is really, uh, you know, an exchange of service. Um, money for service. And I've been able to really participate a lot with um, a lot of social networking groups and provide some free service and do some, you know, how do you alleviate anxiety? How do you stop worrying unnecessarily? How do you tell the difference between worry that's realistic and worry that's really over the top and paralyzing you? So that's been one piece. Another piece is I've been able to really work on my own growth and development. I'm recording my Audible book. I'm looking at what my next book is going to be. I've been able to spend amazing time with my family. We celebrated a birthday here. My daughter's wife just turned 31. And we, when she woke up the other morning, we had a hundred balloons all over the house. It was hilarious and so much fun. Like so much better than the birthday would have been if we had like typically gone out to some snooty restaurant, right? We had a blast, brought home sushi. So um, for us, it's really been a time of family togetherness, of growth and development. And yeah, I don't wanna go back to my office. I actually just had an architect at my house. We're talking about how to build my office so that I can work from home and been really, again, perversely beneficial. So I want everybody to stay healthy. And I would like to see this curve flatten and being from a medical background, I really get that this is important that we not necessarily because you're susceptible or I'm susceptible, but what about the elderly guy on the subway? Or what about the person whose immune system's really compromised? And the kind of death you die from this is really not like the flu or other illnesses that we commonly get every spring or winter. So let's, you know, take care of each other and be generous. It's going to all work out. I love this. Hey, you, you plugged it in the middle of this, but hey, if people want to get more from you, they want to order your book. They just fell in love with this. They made it all the way through this podcast, which by the way, thanks for sticking around a couple extra minutes so we could get that last question. And how do they get a hold of you or less so a hold of you? How do they follow you? How do they, how do they interact and learn more about you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram. They can find me on Facebook. My website's drbriar.com. Super, super easy. Um, if you remember my name, that is. So, you know, I know I have a very tricky name, Dr. Briar, but I presume they'll be in the uh, podcast notes. So, um, you know, feel free to look into the podcast notes here and I'm available to take your calls, your emails. Feel free to reach out to me, to the Love, Laugh, Be community and you know, really, this has been such a pleasure, Aaron. You're always so awesome and so optimistic, and I love spending time with you. Thanks so much for coming on, Briar. Appreciate you. You're so welcome. Likewise.